Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ansham at Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion, Beshalach, the circuitous road to freedom. Are you directionally challenged? No, I'm pretty good at directions. I uh, have a, a decent instinct for it. I've, I'm maybe losing some ability now that I rely on my phone so much, but I don't get lost too badly. What about you? I'm horrible. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just horrible. I, um, my wife and I used to have a uh, joke about mobile stations. If I'd pull into a mobile station, I mean, I was stopping for directions because I had gotten ourselves hopelessly lost. It happened when we were in Florida. We were driving, and I just kept getting lost. And um, are you lost? No, no, I know. No. And then we kind of sheepishly pull into a mobile station to ask directions before the uh, age of GPS. Right. But today it's a little bit better, and, and I – I'm sure there are groups that I've taken to Israel who have kind of gone on the circuitous paths. But having said that, and I hope your respect for me hasn't diminished. <laughs> no, at least you stopped to ask. You know, a lot of people are too cocky to stop and ask for help. I will say that I, I wait to the last minute. <laughs> okay. But having said all this, I want you to know that I am in good company because the Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Holy One, is also one who has directional issues, but I think for better reasons. This is how our portion Beshalach starts. This is now the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're out, and God says, God makes a decision. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, and God did not lead them by way of the Philistines, though it was nearer, for God said, the people may have a change of heart when they see war, and they'll want to return to Egypt. So God led the people roundabout by way of the wilderness at the Sea of Reeds. So this entire splitting of the sea was, in a sense, by design. God takes the people on the longer or more circuitous route, which I think is interesting. What, what does that tell you about God's trust in the people? Well, it tells me that God had a plan and that maybe he felt like, you know, people needed time to get used to this. That especially wasn't going to be easy, even on a shorter journey. journey. It wasn't going to be easy going through the desert. And it wasn't going to be easy to get used to being free and without a home. And, you know, it takes some time to... uh adjust to your surroundings and maybe, you know, God planned this circuitous route so that um, there would just be a little bit more time for, for folks to get their head around what was happening. I like the way you put that. You know, you would think that after waiting hundreds of years for this redemptive moment, that like to think that they, the people were still dreaming of freedom, that when that day came, they would be ready to go. They would be ready to embrace their freedom. But God is acknowledging that those years of slavery have impacted them, that they might be physically free, but internally they're still enslaved. And I think that, or get your head around that idea, um, as you put it, but that I think is at the essence of this. And the fact that Pharaoh is going to come chasing after them tells you that the Egyptian society or the enslavers were certainly not ready for that idea. And so that struggle and the circuitous route of freedom, 
I think is made evident in this in this Torah portion. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, what it would have happened had they been granted their freedom and yet stayed in Egypt, right? Like, let's just say Pharaoh had said, okay, you're all free. Good luck to you. Uh, we'll see you around. And, and suddenly they're, they're equals in society. Would they have really been equals in society? And would they have suddenly just like cast aside all the psychological burdens that had come from enslavement and suddenly seen themselves as equals to the Egyptians? Probably not, right? The good news here is that we don't have to speculate about the answer, not in Egypt, but throughout Jewish history. Jews have lived in larger societies. They've been given freedom. And I'm talking about societies that have a history of enslavement or anti-Semitism or rejection of the Jew. So I'm thinking of Spain, where Jews had the opportunity to be given freedom. They could convert to Catholicism and they could become fully part of Spanish society. You might say, well, that's what, what kind of freedom is that? But that was the deal. And that's where the Spanish Inquisition came from. It was the backlash to that idea. Not, not all that different than the American experience. You have the Civil War and then you have Reconstruction. But we understand what happened in America. It's not all that different than, than Pharaoh turning around and saying, wait a minute, this doesn't work for me. I don't want these people to be free. I have other uses for them. So come, you know, this idea that America was Pharaoh kind of coming around and taking all the freedoms or chasing them down, that's the story, right? People, societies are slow to change. And it's not just what's happening inside of the Israelites, but what's happening in the Egyptian world as well. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, in America, the former slaves are are still have to live with their enslavers, um, and and those and those enslavers are are trying to cut back on the freedom that their enslaved people have been granted. They're trying to really call a do over and say, okay, you're you may not be enslaved anymore, but you're still not really citizens. You're still not, not entitled to any rights, and we're going to use violence to make sure you don't think of yourselves as equals or right. truly free. So. That just makes it hard, and it's making me think about you know the fact that even for the Israelis who were not living with their enslavers anymore, breaking those psychological chains is not an easy thing to do, and that's maybe that's right. why they needed more time. Yes. I don't want to be too quick about the sleight of hand that I just used. Jewish history and the history of the Israelites in Egypt is different than black history in America. And I was sort of fudging them a little bit. So I want to mm -hmm. catch myself. The Israelites had a place to go, or at least in theory, they had a place to go, which was Canaan, which was this promised land, which has its own complications. But they were going somewhere. Right. Right. Blacks have been brought to this country. This was now their country. So they, it was not like they had another place to go where they could be distinct and apart and create their own culture and society. They had to do exactly what you were raising before. They had to say, well, okay, here's your freedom. Now, what are you going to do with it in this sort of semi-hostile society? It's a different example. So I want to kind of, I just want to make sure that that they're seen as distinct. Yeah, no question about it. it you, it's, you can't draw too many direct comparisons, um, but it, it's interesting just to think about the process involved in, in anyone learning to be free, but you can't undo the damage. I think as a general statement, you can say that freedom has a circuitous path. 
it's like one step forward, two steps backwards kind of thing. And we have to accept that on some level while not accepting that. I think there's a tension here because on the one hand, the Israelites are given freedom. On the other hand, they're not ready to be free. But they have to face that freedom. They're going to have to make a choice whether they're going to follow God or follow Pharaoh. There's all kinds of things that are going to go into this. They have to figure out how to go forward in this very hostile. And are they going to be able to summon the strength and courage to go forward? Or will they simply fall back because of their fear? These are the building blocks that go into every freedom movement. And I would think that the freedom movement in America, your work with Dr. King would speak to that. Oh, there's no question it does. And, you know, as we, we, we mentioned earlier, you know, there's one thing to be released from, from slavery and to um, be emancipated, but then like you still have to live in a society where you're not treated as an equal and it takes time and it takes struggle. And, and by the time Dr. King comes along, I mean, slavery has been over for, almost a century, but that doesn't mean that they've really gotten where they, obviously they're not where they want to be yet. And uh, there's this great moment discussion between King and, and Stanley Levison, who's Jewish and one of his advisors, one of his best friends. And um, Levison was talking to King about a book that he was writing and King writes in the book that black families have to um, do more to step up and, and, and show that they are equal citizens and they have to um, keep their kids in school and, it seemed like he was criticizing black families. And it's the Jew, it's Stan Levison, who says to King in this letter, let's not go there yet. Let's, you know, I, I think your most readers are not going to understand the lingering effects of slavery and how many scars there are. And it's the, it's just fascinating that it's the, it's the, it's the white Jew who's arguing with King that he should, um, he should dial it down and, and, and not underestimate the, the lingering impact of slavery on black families. How did King respond to that? Well, he changed the book. He he really he did pretty much what Levison suggested. He 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 changed that passage in his book. How do you think the Jewish experience impacted Levinson when he said that? Yeah, that's a great question because Levison was not really a practicing Jew. He was raised in the Jewish tradition, obviously, um, but maybe he just had a good historical perspective. He was able to see that thousands of years later, the Jews were still psychologically affected by their enslavement and that he understood just how deeply these things run and that you never outgrow them. I love what you just said, because I think it's part of the Jewish reality. Someone once said you can take the Jew out of the diaspora, but you can't take the diaspora out of the Jew. I think that that's so much part of that experience. What does it mean to be an ethnic minority in a larger society that is hostile to you? What does that mean? How do you understand that? That hasn't always been true, but certainly the majority of Jewish history would reflect that. And so that relationship with society is something that Levinson was really speaking to. And whether or not a Jew is observant or not, that is, I think, part of our DNA as Jews in the diaspora. We, we know that. And, you know, after October 7th, you know, all that DNA has sort of been awakened in lots of Jews when, you know, what we thought was a, uh, a, a welcoming society feels more hostile in many ways. I think that, and I think that was what Levinson's reflecting is that DNA that's inborn after, th after thousands of years of diaspora living. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And there are some experiences that are just uh, become part of your DNA, and that's got to be one of them, I think. You know, I just, in closing, the rabbis have a phrase that's called the long, short way. There's a direct way, and it's more expeditious, but there's a long way. Like, if you go on the short way, you're going to go down the wrong path in the end. It's going to turn out to be a negative experiment. But if you go the long, short way, what they really mean is that the longer way will actually get you there. Even though it's more circuitous, you'll get there. If God would have put the Israelites on a magic carpet and taken them to Canaan and said, you're home now, you do have to fend for yourselves and you're going to have to learn to farm, but you're also going to have to fight to get the land and all the rest. They would have been woefully unprepared. So the circuitous way of wandering for 40 years ultimately prepares them to go in. And I think that we as human beings are often impatient. We just might not be ready for it now. And I think that's, that's part of this conversation as well. Yeah, I agree. You know, King said the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. And maybe it has to be long and we have to have time to bend it. It doesn't bend by itself. We have to go on that journey. When I give that sermon, I'm going to acknowledge you, Jonathan. Thank uh, you. It's all right. It's all yours. Uh, well, the arc of history, that that's not mine. No. <laughs> Thanks, Rabbi.